Bob Goff said, Embrace whimsy. Embrace whimsy. What's whimsy? Is it silliness? Goofiness? It's, is, it, is it what Mac Davis called it? Is, is it stopping to smell the roses along the way? Is it, is it just being willing to take the time to enjoy what's out in front of you? Embrace whimsy. Let me give you a, a couple of pictures of it. Uh, Mr. Goff, I don't know if you've heard of Bob Goff. He's, a, he's an author and a, a, a lawyer. Or he's, the, uh, what is he? he's the consulate general of Uganda. He's an American, but they invited him to be the consulate general because of his work there. Bob Goff was uh, at his house. He has a, a house that he built out um, on the edge of a cliff. Having the means to do so, he bought 5,000 acres around the camp where he, as a kid, had gone. And so he bought those acres so that the camp would never have to worry about uh, population encroaching on them. And uh, some guys were going by in kayaks. And it seemed like the thing to do that, that uh, afternoon. And so he went out on the dock there by the water and he invited them in. And so six strangers he'd never met rode their kayaks up to a, the edge of his, of his house. They got out of the dock. He invited them in. And his wife, Maria, began to feed them. And they talked and they ate and they had a good time and they spent the whole day. They spent all the way till midnight at his house. People he didn't know until they rolled up to the dock. And he was uh, just, he just had a good time with them. They told stories and enjoyed the, enjoyed the day. And then as they were leaving midnight, they had to get to their campsite across the other side of the, the, the river. And as they were leaving, he was getting them ready and helping launch the boats. And he, was, he had knelt down and one of the guys who was uh, who's actually telling the story about Bob... Um, said, oh, I'm sorry you've gotten your, your knees wet uh, as you were, you know, launching. I'm, you know, I'm sorry. And uh, Bob goes, oh, that, you haven't seen anything yet. And so they started paddling out. I had no idea what he was talking about. They paddled the, the, the kayaks out a little bit, just a, a short ways away, and they started hearing shouting from the dock. And they're standing at the end of the dock at midnight where Bob his wife, and his children. And they were waving and shouting. And when all the people in the kayaks turned around, they all jumped in the water, fully clothed. (laughs) Embrace whimsy. And the author writes about the story. He said, the whole family jumped in the water at midnight just so that they could say a memorable farewell. Embrace whimsy. Solomon is trying to discover a better story for his life. He has spent most of his life trying to build a story that was of someone else's invention. Living under his father's shadow, trying to be an appropriate king, trying to establish the kinds of authority and power that go along with that, that job. Building great things. Filling his, his harem with a thousand people, women. Establishing such great wealth that people still talk about it. Learning so much and knowing how to apply it so well that people traveled just to talk to him. Impressive life. Life that is 
full, but not a life that is fulfilled. And now as he gets closer to the end of his life and he's looking back over it, he is trying to embrace whimsy. He's trying to enjoy life and he's trying to help us understand how it happens. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 10, he says this after quite a bit of commentary about life and uh, the issues that are coming. In fact, one of the things he says right before this is, you know you're going to live your life and at the end you will face judgment. And then he says this, So this is one of those phrases you don't think of comes right after you will face judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart. You know, when when we talk about facing judgment, we always talk about removing sin from your life and from your heart, right? Remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh. It's interesting that the sin came second in his thinking. Remove sorrow from your heart and take away evil from your flesh. Solomon is trying to leave us an understanding of how to live better lives, how to live better stories. For I consider, I considered all this in my heart so that I could, sorry, I speak for a living, so that I could declare it to all that the righteous, the wise, and their works are where? In the hand of God. In the hand of God. The righteous, the wise, and their works are in the hand of God. I have decided to think about all of these things, consider them in my heart, so that... If you tell somebody, you know, I, I, uh, I brought you here, so that... What's the so that mean? What's so that in that sentence mean? Sorry? I'm about to tell you the purpose for our gathering. I'm about to tell you why we're here, why I brought you here, why I I want to talk to you. He said, I considered all these things so that, so that I could tell you, so that I could declare to all that the righteous, the wise, and their works are in the hand of God. I've been thinking about my life and I've been exposing all the things I've done, all the terrible things I've done, all the, all the misdeeds of my life, all the things I've gotten myself into, all the vanity I've discovered. I've thought about all this stuff so that I could declare to you, you're in the hand of God, so that I could declare to you the righteous, the wise, and their works are in the hand of God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, <clears throat> John writes, And these things we write to you, Why? That your joy may be full. The joy of the Lord is what? Finish the sentence. The joy of the Lord is my strength, is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The frustration with God is your strength. The attendance at church is your strength. The uh, right Bible translation is your strength. Sitting next to the right person at church is your strength. Your wife is your strength. Your child is your strength. Your husband is your strength. No, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Obedience is your strength. Solomon said, I want you to understand something. Put sorrow out of your heart and put evil out of your flesh. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Whatever you face, 
Whatever you're trying to accomplish, whatever you're trying to overcome, whatever you're trying to deal with, the joy of the Lord is your strength. When you hit the bottom, when you're in the valley of despair, when you're struggling, you know where you find the help? You know where you find the strength to keep moving? When you recognize that the righteous, the wise, and their works are in the hands of God. And when you're in the hands of God, there's a joy that's impenetrable by the rest of the incidences around you. There's a joy that's impenetrable by the facts that are standing in front of you. There's a joy that's impenetrable by the world you live in. There's a joy that rests in God, not in any other element of your circumstance. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He says, you know you're going to face the judgment someday, so cast sorrow from your heart and evil from your flesh. When John says, I'm writing these things to you, I'm writing them to you so that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. Psalm 16, verse 11, you will show me the paths of life in the presence, in your presence is fullness of joy. Now stop for a sec. If you were, if you were just drafted into the presence of God right now, if you were plucked out of your seat, thrown into the presence of God, would your first impetus be, oh man, that'd be fun. Or would you be scared to death? Would you be saying, oh no, what would I do? If I were, if I were plucked up out of my seat, thrown into the presence of God, I would panic. I would, I would run. I would hide. In your presence is fullness of joy. You are covered by my love and my grace. I am for you. I care about you. I hold you in my hand. Cast sorrow from your heart, he said. Cast sorrow from your heart and evil from your flesh. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I write you these things so that your joy may be full. I know, I know that you will show me the path of life because in your presence is fullness of joy. How's your joy doing this morning? We talked about this the last three weeks. I've been just pounding and pounding and pounding away at at this idea Live your life, live it joyfully, live it expectantly, live it in the presence of God. In fact, be present in your own life. Enjoy your life. It's a key to the solid foundation of your faith. To recognize that the righteous, their wisdom and their works are in the hand of God. When you think of being in the hand of God, you think of this. About 30% of you said no. When you're in the hand of God, you think of this? Are you sure? Because your face says you do. When you're in the hand of God, do you think of this? When you hear that you're in the hand of God, think of this. Think of holding a baby. Think of being embraced by the hands of God. Think of being cared for and taken care of by the hands of God. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Knowing that you are in His hand, that you are cared for by Him, is where you will find the hope and the strength and the courage to take whatever steps He places in front of you, to follow the path that leads to His presence and fullness of joy. Ask and you will receive. Why? 
Why does he answer your prayers? That your joy may be full. Why does he say no to some of your prayers? That your joy may be full. Why does he say wait sometimes? That your joy may be full. Can you answer this with me? Why does God answer your prayers? That your joy may be full. Why did John write? He said, I write these things so that your joy may be full. Do you get the picture? Do you get the understanding of what I'm trying to say? Solomon says, look, when you face the judgment, the judgment's rolling. It's coming. There's going to be a last clock click. The last click. (laughs) The last tick. It's going to be one of those days of the clock. It's going to happen. Whether you take your last breath and the next thing you know is the sky's parting or you're standing there, I hope you've gathered at the cemetery to see the action and the sky's part. That is correct. Thank you, buddy. You know that that last tick of the clock will take place. You know it. You and I both know it. Solomon says, but it's okay because you're in the hand of God. Let sorrows be cast away. And in that joy, in that strength, in that connection, in that understanding, you will find the power to face whatever needs to take place from there. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Ecclesiastes chapter 9-1, we're back to it. For I consider... I considered all of this in my heart so that I could declare it to all that the righteous and the wise and their works are all in the hand of God. In the hand of God. We've been asking for weeks. I know several of you have been saying this, this discussion of Ecclesiastes is getting a little depressing, especially those first seven chapters, you know. Everything is vanity. It's all horrible. It's vanity. Oh, it's awful. Solomon just declared why he wrote the book. I considered all of this. I thought about all these things because I wanted you to know where you are. I wanted you to know if you're a follower of God, this is where you dwell. This is where you dwell. That should be good news to you. You're right here in the hands of God. So I take you back to what he had to say to you. End of the same chapter. Enjoy your food, your family, and your work. I've given it the title, Live Locally. Live Locally. Some of us watch too much news. I'm guilty of this. And I find myself living globally. Can I actually live globally? No, I can't live globally. I can pray globally, but I can't live globally. I can pray the authority of God into a situation on the other side of the world with complete confidence and faith that His actions are moving on those situations. I can pray globally, but I can't live globally. I can't live globally. We talked about last week, you can't live in your past. Some of us just need to go out in the backyard, take a shovel, dig a hole, and systematically put junk in that pole and cover it up and walk away and don't ever dig it up. 
Some of us need to stop trying to live for tomorrow and just start living today. Live locally. Live locally. Live in the only moment you have. Live in the now. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already accepted what? Your works. He's already accepted these things. He already told you. He likes these things. He's given them to you. He's accepted these things. Let your garments always be white instead of what? Do you know what the, the other option he's, he's really talking about? He's talking about the morose going around with sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes and just being glum and being, oh, look at me, I'm spiritual because I'm so sad. You can tell I'm spiritual. Look at me. I'm sad. I, I, am, I am pious and righteous and altogether one with God because I'm so sad. Isn't that true? There are people who try to do it that way. How's that work? Are those the people you invite over for Sabbath lunch? Why? Because they're so sad. Because they're a bummer to be around. You don't want to be around them. I don't think God wants to be around them. I think God's like, come on, man, buck up a little, smile or something. Your face goes the other way too. But we sometimes think that being joyful is not being spiritual. I'm here to say being joyful is, in fact, spiritual. Do you know not one of the gifts of the Spirit. You would think it was. From the way we go about this thing, you would think sadness was one of the gifts of the Spirit. But it's not. The Bible says joy is. I have written these things to you so that your joy may be full. Your, the joy that you find in the Lord is your strength. You will lead me in the paths to you and your, and your presence is fullness of joy. How is your joy this morning. Are you looking forward to the next minute and a half? Are you looking forward to going home with the person sitting next to you? Don't say it loud. Your teenager will be so bummed if you say no. So sad. By the way, teenagers... Being a teenager is not permission to be sad. Okay? We were all there. We know that your head is completely off wires. It's like going in 30 directions. We all know we don't need your information on this. Find a happy book to read. Go to your happy place. We have other things to say to you, but go to your, your youth teach, ask your youth leader about it. We have permission from God to be joyful. It is a desire of God's heart that you and I have joy. Enjoy your food. Wear white clothes. Put on perfume. I like this. Let your head never lack oil. I wish it said, let your head never lack hair. <laughs> I'd have a text to claim. 
<laughs> I left out the, a part of the sentence which I, should, which I shouldn't have or should have left out more. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love. <laughs> Live joyfully with the wife whom you fill in the blank. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Why? Because God has already accepted your works. God has already accepted you. The works and the wisdom of the righteous are in his hands. Enjoy your food. Enjoy your family. Go, out, go to your work and go at it. Enjoy it. Put yourself into it. Why? Because in this you will find meaning. In this you will find joy. In this you will find the strength of your relationship with God. In this you will find a walk that leads into the presence of with whom there is fullness of joy. Live locally because you live eternally. You can live in the moment of your life because your eternity is secure. You can live in the moment God has given you because your eternity is secure. If you're sitting here today and yours isn't, get it right. Go to Jesus and tell him, I want it to be. Ask forgiveness for your sins. Get your life restructured and directed towards Him. Begin to follow Him and not follow after yourself or some other person. Give your life fully to Him so that your eternity is secure. Because once your eternity is secure, you can now be in the moment. You can now embrace whimsy. Goth lives a life where he embraces whimsy. He was broke. He was a young lawyer. He'd just gotten out of law school, and they moved to San Diego. Imagine being broke in San Diego. There are worse places to be broke in the world. South Dakota comes to mind. His kids, he had a couple little kids at the time, loved the water, loved going to the beach, and they wanted their dad to have a boat. Now, what would most of us tell our kids if, we wanted, if they wanted us to have a boat and we were broke? Don't have the money. Not getting a boat, buddy. Right? Here's what Goff did. He scraped together enough money. He had enough money to buy a 15-foot wide stretch of waterfront property in San Diego. Think about that. 15 feet wide. The ocean is slowly taking away your land. And for the next two years, they lived on the beach. They had a porta potty moved in so that it would be legal. And they lived in tents. And his wife, Maria, and their kids said that was the best time of their lives. At the end of those two years, they had enough money to buy a boat. Crazy. Who would do that? Who does that kind of stuff? Who, who, who buys 15 feet of a, of a waterfront this is your land, this isn't. This is your land, this isn't. A person whose eternity is secure. How do you do this kind of craziness? Easy. You know your eternal life is the one that matters and it's secure. And once that's secure, you can do other weird things. Like buy 15 feet wide strips of San Diego. It's New Year's Day. The family's sitting around New Year's Day. And his little girl says, I'm bored. And he looked at her and he said, 
What would you say? Well, wait, first, what would you say? What, do you, what, what is the standard answer in your family when a kid says they're bored? I know what it is in my family. has been for generations. Would you like me to give you some work? What do, you, what do you find out about the child after that statement? How fast I can get out of the room. His daughter said, I'm bored. He said, you know, it is boring. Wouldn't that be, a, wouldn't that be a, just an enlightening moment for your child if you admit it that you were bored too? It is boring. And, he, and then he said, I think New Year's Day is the most boring day of the year. And so he asked his kids. Think about this. Think about how many times his kids seem to be a part of what's going on. He asked his kids. What would you do to make this day not boring? One of them said, buy a pony. (laughs) One of them said, build a rocket. And one of them said, have a parade. I think they had been watching the Rose Bowl or something. Rose Bowl parade. Have a parade. And he thought, I don't want to put, buy a pony or build a rocket, so let's try the parade. <laughs> and he said, so, so what would we do if we had a parade? And the kids began to come up with ideas. We would have to have costumes. We would have to, you know, be appropriately decorated to have a parade. Well, what, do we, what about our neighborhood? Where would we do the parade? Right down our street. Okay. Well, If we're going to do a parade down our street, who's going to watch? We can invite all the neighbors, they said. And the kids went through the neighborhood inviting the neighbors to their parade. And then they made costumes. And in the midst of the making of the costumes, they came up with a new idea. They said, let's not have a parade where people watch. Let's have a parade where everybody comes. And so they went back, he and his kids, to every door in the neighborhood, and they said, we're sorry you can't watch the parade. But you can participate. No one gets to watch, but everyone's invited. And so they went out, and, there, and his wife, Maria, started making food because she figured the end of the parade should be their house. And she figured if there are people who have gone through the parade, they're going to want to eat at the end of the parade. So they started cooking and making preparations for this, the, the family, the people, the, the neighbors that would gather. And they went out in the street in their wild costumes that they had made out of cardboard and paper and glue. And they marched down the street. And the four of them found that there were eight other people in their neighborhood who would embrace whimsy and march down the street in costumes they had made themselves. And there were a dozen people who arrived at their house at the end of the parade and celebrated New Year's Day. What's crazy is 10 years later, the whole neighborhood's in the parade. People fly back who have moved away to be in this crazy homemade parade on New Year's Day. They have a queen of the parade. They usually find someone in a, in, a, in a local care home or somebody who has just not been blessed in their whole life and they name them queen of the parade. And the queens of the parade have a breakfast before the parade at a local country club. And they talk about what it was like to be queen of the parade. And you're all sitting there thinking, I wouldn't do that. That would be embarrassing. 
I don't know, going out there in a cardboard costume and walking up my street, my neighbors would think I was crazy. Or they might think you were fun. (laughs) Embrace whimsy. I know some of us are, are generationally bred not to do this. I know. For generations, our family has been telling us, stand up straight, behave yourself. Children are to be seen and not heard. I can quote these because I've heard them. Deep German veins run through my body. Germans do not wear cardboard costumes and march down streets. If we're coming down your street, we've got a reason. But who's having more fun? Who has more joy? And if the joy of the Lord is your strength, who has more strength? There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that a reason to be joyful? So you can live eternally if you know there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can live joyfully. You can live in the moment if you know there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Would you take a moment, turn to your neighbor, and say, you are not condemned. Go ahead. Do it out loud. Do it out loud. Turn to someone and tell them, you are not condemned. If the person behind you is sitting there not saying anything, would you turn around and tell them they're not condemned? The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Later in that same chapter, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Say it again. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? If you rest In the arms of Jesus, if you know the righteous and their wisdom and their works are in the hands of God, if you know that God is for you and that you are not condemned, then you can rest in the moment joyfully, no matter what that moment brings. If you are in a hospital bed and they're unplugging you, that moment is still a moment when you rest in the hand of Jesus, when your eternity is secure. And in that moment, you can have a joy that's unexpressible. From your best day to your worst day, this joy doesn't change because it's not based in the circumstances that surround you. It is based in circumstances that are so far beyond you as to be completely untouched by the world you live in. The joy of the Lord is your strength. 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 As the end approaches in the world we live in, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. As you sit in the morning at your toast and your oatmeal that your wife makes you eat because your cholesterol is high, Scoop it up and say, 
This is a gift from God. This was given to me by God. Embrace what he's given you and recognize the blessing in it. It gives a moment in your life where everything else gets central. You get or get centered. And you begin to understand how you can have joy no matter the circumstances. If God is this kind of a being who loves you and cares about you, those tiny acts of the day, enjoying your food, enjoying your family, enjoying your work, help build the connection of trust. If you're, if, you're, if you're sitting there at the table thanking God for your food and you take a moment to really mean it, not just rattle off the words, when you really just stop for a moment and enjoy it and you let it flow into your mouth and you taste it and you thank Him for taste buds and you thank Him for sugar and you thank Him for salt and you thank Him for the things that are there in your mouth that you, that as they flow around in your mouth and through your taste buds, as that is going on in your life, as you can stop and say, thank you, Lord, for these things, for this gift, it's faith building, it's trust building, and you can follow him. Down the path that leads to a presence where there is joy unspeakable. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. Stop for a sec. When you read this, does it sound contractual? Because there should be a converse statement as well, right? The statement that says... If you don't keep my commandments, you will not abide in my love. Just as when I don't keep my Father's commandments, or if I hadn't kept my Father's commandments, I wouldn't abide in His love. Is this not the opposite of what we've been talking about? You need to stay really, really focused for the next minute or two. The next verse says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. If you keep my commandments, here's what I know. You will find out that my commands are like my heart. They are for you. And if they're for you, who can be against you? That they're, they're a part of what it means to live in my hand and be blessed. They're a part of what it means to know that I care about you. They're not me holding you down under the thumb. I've tried to explain this, and I've tried to explain this, and I've tried to explain this. The commandments are not a fence around you. They are gates in the fence that's around you. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You know how that's true? Because if you and I stray away, if we, we walk away and we, we live a life out from under those things, you know what we're going to find? That life out from under those things is miserable. How's the life of a thief? Is it joyful? How's the life of a liar? Is it joyful? 
Go down the list and ask, which is a better life? Which is a more joyful life? And now let me switch the way you think about the commandments. If God's grace is over you and you can do nothing to merit salvation. I know that's a big statement I just made. Did you catch it? If God's grace is over you and you can do nothing to merit salvation, then the commandments are about something else. And what are they about? Abiding in my love, experiencing it, being in the presence of it, experiencing it at a level that is different from anything you've ever known, trusting me so completely that in those commands you recognize not something to be done, but the heart of one who loves you. Abiding in me is walking in these things. That your joy may be full. That my joy may remain in you. If you are struggling and battling against things that you know are wrong, that you shouldn't be doing, how's your joy? If you are condemned by your own voice day in and day out, how's your joy? See, God's grace, God's covering, God's love, God's mercy, God's commands are all for you. The Bible is for you. It's the path that leads to the presence of one in whose presence there is joy unspeakable. If we get down to brass tacks, you look at the end of this book, Solomon is saying, what should you do? Fear God, which is to honor and be in awe and know who he is, to know the simple fact that he is God and I am not. Fear God and keep his commands. Why? Because in them you find the remaining presence, abiding presence of love and joy. They're not there for God to be able to check off who the good little boys and girls are. We're about to start Christmas and there go the songs again. He's watching. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. It's creepy. (laughs) And we think that's a picture of God. It's just the opposite. He's not watching. He's walking alongside. He's trying to keep you from falling into the pits that are in the road ahead of you. He's trying to give you information that will help you survive this place where we live. He's trying to give you an abundant, free, full life that you can sit in his eternal embrace, that you can know you are covered by his grace. You can know him to be a righteous, caring, loving God who doesn't manipulate people, that isn't there to attack people or make people do things. He's there to lift up and encourage and strengthen and care for his people. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept the Father's commandments and I abide in his love. That's what it means. These things I have spoken to you that, that my joy may remain in you, that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. That you love one another. At the end of the day, he says, you know what I really want you to do? I just want you to learn to love one another. Loving another human being requires trust. Right? Right? Loving another human require, human being requires trust in that human being. Or it requires such faith in the God who oversees this planet that you can love a person in spite of that person. 
It requires faith in that person. Or it requires faith in God who holds you in his hand. In whom your eternity is secure. No matter what happens next. You can love whimsically then. You cannot worry about being seen as the goofy guy wearing a card guy wearing a cardboard hat and a paper mache costume in the middle of the street. You can just say, This is fun and it's a loving thing I can do for my kids and my neighbors. Because your eternity is in the hands of God. You're securely wrapped in his arms. And what happens to you eternally is the only thing that really matters. Now, I'm not saying to those of you who have had horrible boundaries invaded by people that you need to have those people over for dinner tomorrow. No. Some of those folks you're going to get to love from a distance. But you need not walk through your day in fear. Because you're held in the hand of God. The omnipotent authority of heaven and earth. No matter the stuff that flows your way, he still has you in his hand. Live locally. Live eternally. And know joy. Joy unspeakable. Joy that rests in certain facts. That for the person who has accepted Christ, there is no condemnation. That God is for you, and if He is for you, who can be against you? And the commands of God are not some binding structure on your life to make you a smaller person. They are the openings into a world where you can abide in his love. Embrace the fact that you are covered in grace, washed in the blood, and eternally secure. And that these are the very things, these are the very things that help you love one another. Let's pray. Father, we are broken in a thousand ways. One of those breaks happens to be part of who we are in our humanity. That in our humanity we doubt who you are. That we, along with our forefathers, wonder if you can be trusted. Today we choose to trust you. To believe that you are for us. To believe that when we are covered by Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. To believe that you have given us things in the scripture that are there to be a blessing to us, to give us abundance in our life. We choose to accept that we don't live in a scarce situation anymore. Because you have everything you need. We choose to believe you. We ask that you would maintain that decision for us.
In Jesus' name, amen. The joy.